it's not good for you. Because I don't think about it. Well, that's living in denial. Living in denial? Yeah. I'm aware of that. I love that little exchange between De Niro and Groden, and it was pretty perfect if we were doing existential thrillers still, Dan, yes. but we're not. Um, we were doing absurdist action movies this time. Yeah. That was this is our 80s Midnight episode. Horror. Yes, the 80s episode. When I think when we came up with this category, I was like, well, we can't really leave the 80s because it's like this is where it all really started, the action right. comedy. We, we could easily do a first... whole cycle of episodes just from the 80s. Just from the 80s. Uh, so we're talking about two movies, 48 Hours and then Midnight Run. Both, I would call it, what, paradigms of the buddy action comedy genre? Does that make sense? Just maybe. Uh, I think that's our guest flipping through his notes. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's welcome him. Who do we have him. as this our guest? Is, this is Film Trace, uh, and we have our uh, returning guest, good friend of the pod, Drax, uh, coming out chill from Hollywood. Thanks for being here with us, Drax. Oh, thanks for having me again, guys. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, good to be here. We uh, uh, we did two episodes with you already. We did. I was looking through this Children of Men, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then we did The Fountain. Right. I think this so uh, will be less contentious than those two. Uh, yeah, episodes. probably so. <laughs> I mean, those two were, you know. We'll see. I had kind of a strong reaction. One of these. What? All right, fair enough. Well, <laughs> interesting. I'm that's a, that's a yeah, this, that's a teaser, I guess. All right, fair enough. <laughs> so, what's up first, Chris? Uh, we have to talk about arguably the first film in the genre of action buddy cop. Well, they're not cop, both cops. Um, it is the 1982 Walter Hill uh, classic, I guess, is the general term thrown about for 48 Hours, starring Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Uh, Nolte plays uh, Jack Cates, a kind of grizzled uh, cop that has to find a guy that uh, killed his partner, played by Jonathan, not well, his partner, a fellow cop, played by Jonathan Banks of Mike Ehrmantraut, yeah. Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul fame, um, dies early on in the movie, unfortunately, and then he teams up with uh, Reggie Hammond, played by Eddie Murphy, uh, who's a convict that supposedly is pretty much the only lead to where this cop killer has gone. Um, Dan and I were talking a little bit, Drax, before you popped on. Um, this is the first time both of us had seen it all the way through. Really? Um, so what's, yeah, what about you? what's your history? Like first, first, first of all, I want to say, like you said, Nick Nolte is, quote, kind of grizzled. <laughs> <laughs> he's very grizzled. Yeah, okay. he's, yeah. He, he's like the archetype of the <laughs> grizzled, uh, hungover, like, hard-boiled, mm. like, uh, anyways. Uh, uh, with, uh, in the... Um, I, you know, I used to always uh, rent a lot of videotapes, like when I was like a teenager and kind of like mm-hmm. discover like a lot Christian of Christian Bale in American Psycho. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of um, <laughs> discover a lot of these movies in the 80s, uh, in the like the early 90s and, and mid 90s as like a teenager. And, uh, you know, 48 Hours kind of came across my radar because of Eddie Murphy, of course. It's like it's his star making turn. Like this is the movie that put him on the map. And, you know, just being uh, a fan of like other Eddie Murphy movies, I was just like, well, I got to see it. And, um, uh, you know, watching it all the way through, I can kind of understand that this movie is on cable nowadays. You probably switch the channel like you might not really be that interested. So I can kind of uh, relate in that respect. Um, But uh, why is that, though? Why is it? Why do you think it's not as interesting now? 
I think, you know, I, I was kind of like when I was watching it recently for the show, it's first of all, it's um, it doesn't hold up very well. It, 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 it does. It is dated at this point, And the story is very, very bare bones. It's not really. I mean, <laughs> it, obviously, the only attraction here is the chemistry between Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Like they, them playing off each other is, of course, the main attraction. And there are some really good scenes and they, um, you know, but it like, I would say like 15 minutes of the movie is like good Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte stuff. And then the rest is just like forgettable, like whatever. Yeah. It's got that like eighties pacing, which I think if you're younger, you wouldn't be used to at all. Because Mm -hmm. like, if you look at the average movie back in the 1980s, it was just, even though they still ran the same length, you know, 90 to 120 minutes around that. The pacing is just so we were just talking about Bullet Train, which is a movie that, you know, is very much in the Tarantino postmodern every two seconds is a cut. Or think about Michael Bay, mm-hmm. a cut every second yeah. sometimes. Or even Hot Fuzz, Edgar Wright. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like this kinetic films. Clip. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have that sort of pace to it. Um and yeah, I, I would say that it seems dated. I will say this. Uh just from a a uh, technical perspective, whoever did the restoration or digital transfer of this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. The version of it on Paramount Plus that I watched looked so crisp and wonderful. That's where it's I watched maybe it one of the too. best yeah. looking films from the 80s that I've seen in a long time. It looked pristine. And that's, um, I think that's also a, te- uh, a testament to Walter Hill, right? Like yes. The Warriors still looks really good if you get a good uh, transfer of it. Um, he, he, he didn't fuck around when it was when it came to you know, and he's always good at like making it feel really dirt. Like this is like San Francisco is not a clean town and he really yeah. made it feel like gr- grungy and grimy um, in the best way possible. Well, um, there's a, but, there's a, sorry. Uh, there's a scene actually that I really noticed for the first time as an adult. Um, it's an exposition scene. It takes place in the p- police precinct and it's a one shotter. Um, yes. of just like, like yeah. yeah, I was just like, whoa, I, you know, as a teenager, I didn't register that at all. And then to see it, like you guys said, kind of in a, you know, pristine environment, um, kind of restored and all that. I was just like the, and you'll probably get into this about the director's bio, like, you know, Walter Hill knew what he was doing, you know, um, at least, uh, with, you know, the cinematography and kind of setting the stage and getting this information out in a way that's pretty creative, um, at least for the time. Let's talk about them. What else did you do before? So you, talk, you mentioned the Warriors. Which I was going to. I would mention that because that's one of my favorite movies, and there are a lot of Warriors veterans in this movie. Um, the villain, that's true. Ja- yep. the villain James Ramar, um, was in the Warriors, and uh, uh, one of my favorite character actors, uh, <laughs> um, David Patrick Kelly, who plays yes. a small character uh, in the movie called Luther. Um, he's infamous in the warriors <laughs> and the bottles right yeah bottles and so right. like and um so you kind of see um uh you know uh some of the pedigree there and um i you know as a like i said it's just like uh these are the movies i watched as like a teenager to kind of catch up on the biography of these people and it's nice to kind of see them you know kind of graduate to other bigger films that walter hill did and of course um walter hill is a producer has uh, hands in a lot of uh, favorite movies as well. Like Alien, right? Is that true that he produced mm-hmm, Alien or mm-hmm. helped? Uh, I, then... He get he gets I think a credit on all of them just because of you know legacy, but um, definitely the first. Yeah. Uh, film. Did you guys ever see the driver? 
1978. No, it's always been on my list. Uh, it's a good one. It, it's like doesn't hold up super well, but it definitely has a lot a great style to it. Uh, and then the one that sticks out that I have not seen that seems to have a sort of aura around it is Southern Comfort. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, with uh, uh, Powers Booth, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I saw it, uh, <laughs> and one of my big uh, one of my big things way back in the day was watching like Monster Vision on uh, TNT, sure. and Bob Briggs, and kind of also Monster Vision adjacent. They would show all these kind of weird kind of like out of the kind of culty films and stuff like that. And Southern yeah. Comfort was one that I happened to catch. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting for a filmmaker that kind of was so influential in the area era. I don't feel like people talk about him a, a lot these yeah. days. Doesn't he hasn't really. Yeah. He like, uh, he had a big bomb in 2000 with supernova. Uh, ah, I don't remember that at all. I yeah. remember with Robin Tunney and who uh, Angela was Angela Bassett in that one, or I'm thinking probably of Strange. Yeah, no, days. yeah, Angela Bassett <laughs> and James Spader and Robert Forster. Yeah. Okay, yeah, oh, it's the, it's a complete uh, train wreck. The poster looks terrible, even. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and then before that, it was another flop, but and not as much so. Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis. I remember that uh, one, and. It's it, it's supposedly a remake of Kurosawa's Yojimbo, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he really hasn't had a big movie, honestly, since another Forty Eight Hours, the sequel to this one, which um, came out uh, 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 what eight years later, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is not very well was not well received, right? No, right. no. Um, I, I I kind of actually probably remember the ending of another forty eight hours more than this one, just because I saw it probably more recently. But hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so what what do we think forty eight hours really established? Right, like I think on the top of the show we sort of mentioned the is it really the start of Buddy? It's not really a Buddy Cop movie technically because uh, Eddie Murphy's not a cop; he's a convict yeah. here. It's it's right. the the way that I kept thinking about it. Um, because I was stuck on that, and we'll talk about it with Midnight Run as well. Like that's not, neither of them are cops technically in that yeah. movie, but it's like the odd couple, odd couple crime movie, right? Well, Nick yes. Nolte is a cop. Nick Nolte yes. is a cop, yeah. but he's the yeah. only one of the four that we're talking about. Yeah, correct, correct, and yeah. and I mean he shouldn't be a cop, like he... right. <laughs> I wrote that in my notes uh, too. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what, it, what? Go ahead. I was just well. I, it's just to put the let the cat out of the bag here because uh, I I didn't want to mislead you guys. Uh, so yeah, I love the look of this movie. I think Walter Hill knows exactly what he's doing behind the camera, but because of the script, um, which has a number of credited writers, mm-hmm. um, and the dated aspect of it, I, I just I I'm sorry, I do not like this movie. I did what? not like it. God, I I, I was enthralled. Oh my movie. gosh! I thought it was just incredibly. Oh man, I don't know. Uh, there's something about like uh, the way it was edited together, the tightness of it. Um, oddly enough, uh, I think Eddie Murray's performance is good. This is really he's not he's also not like a trained actor, right? So like That's this is noticeable. his first sort of, yeah. and he doesn't show know, up until SNL act two. Guy. Was that right? He doesn't show up until Act Two either. So Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so it, it's always said as like Eddie Murphy vehicle. He's sort of the standout. Yeah. Without a doubt. And 
people always mention like the the redneck bar torches well, that, that whole that scene. Is, where that basically... actually still is really good. The redneck scene yes. is still yes. really good. That scene sings. Yeah. But that like yeah. and that's only but that's only five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's true. And like a lot of people mentioned that scene. I actually thought that scene was fine. Uh, but to me, it's like the whole, the whole, how it all, um, kind of the mechanics of the film work so well to me. The timing, None of it the makes pacing. sense though. What do you mean? What, what doesn't make sense? Come on, give me something. Give me something to bite on. Uh, like James Remar does an admirable job trying to play a, a, a cop killer without a motive, really. Psychopath, but yeah psychopath like but just like none of that hangs to get like why are they sticking around san francisco why do they come back to the girlfriends why does why is eddie murphy like uh you know connected to them at all i don't know yeah. you know what's astounding they let him get away three times don't they give him his gun i don't understand no, that. oh, that's no, the why worst. would you give up your gun that's like no, the number one rule i can't remember i can't remember a movie that's kind of stringing you along like that where it's just like well he got away again guys like it's not a tv show you know it's a movie so it's like it's not like we'll be back next week folks no it's, oh, it's, yeah, it's, you guys come on no no I, mean, I, I i have to agree with my friend chris here i watching it um, you know, watching it for the first time way back when I was a teenager, I was just like, oh, you know, this is, you know, it's an Eddie Murphy movie. Okay, great. It's rated R. And it's, you know, got a lot of violence and, you know, sex and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Great. But watching it yeah. as a am just kind of like, if this were on, like I, I said this early in the show, if this were on cable and I had like the nostalgia vibes going on, I'd be like, no, I don't need to watch this again. I'm, I'm done. And then, uh, for, for a lot of the reasons we've touched on, it's like the nostalgia alone is not enough. It's dated. Uh, the humor doesn't really register. You know, there's like, yeah, I, I, I'll let you guys kind of continue, but um, I kind of have to agree with Chris. Like, it's not that great of a movie in retrospect. Okay, two think- counterpoints. Okay. One, it's, it's purely genre. Right, they're not with the story. They're not trying to do anything fancy. Classic. Do we agree on that? <laughs> what you say? <laughs> Cla- classic defense, Dan. Okay, it's, it's okay that it doesn't make sense because it's a genre piece. Well, no, 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 no. no. It's like it. It there is uh, a base layer narrative that we all know and get. It's cops and robbers. It's not supposed to be that complex, right? Two. Mm-hmm. Um, Hill said himself. Uh, in an interview, I think in 2012, he goes, this, I this line is hilarious. He goes, uh, the story was preposterous, so why not make it kind of humorous? So there's absolutely a self-awareness to when they were making this. And they also cast Eddie Murphy, who, who, who else was up for that part? Richard Pryor, who's also up for that part. Yeah. And they, Hines, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So they got... The they got Eddie Murphy because I think that the studio let him do it, and I think the other guys are probably too expensive. Um, well, but also, you know, go ahead. Well, so also, what's kind of um, a little unsaid here is Eddie Murphy was on SNL at the time, yes. and um, uh, he's 20, he's 20, he, he is. Uh, <laughs> He's such a, he had so much, um, you know, just reading some kind of, you know, some of the, some of the, um, uh, you know, biographies and like oral histories and, and written histories of kind of the era, you know, both on SNL and just kind of at the time, it's just kind of like after this movie, and we've said this before, he just blew up incredibly and it all got thrown at him all at once. And I really do kind of, you can kind of see it on screen that, he might not be as confident 
as you would like a, a Richard Pryor or a Gregory Hines would have been. Yeah. And so it makes it a different movie and it is kind of fascinating to watch in in you know in retrospect retrospectively because you just kind of feel him kind of finding the voice that we would be so familiar with and and I'm sure we'll get into the legacy of this, like Beverly Hills Cop and all these other things that he would go on to do. So um in that in that way watching this movie was really interesting to see like this is kind of where it did all start with the and i kind of actually take issue with um i do think this is the buddy cop formula um even though you even though you couldn't quite classify it as so if you're using a rubric that is just like well they both have to have be like good cop and bad cop or whatever like it it, that doesn't matter because like as we'll also discuss with like midnight run like it's it hits the same beats that we are going to see for the next 40 years um and i'm sure and i'm sure we'll talk about some of those beats um in a minute here there's one one quote i gotta throw out there yeah yeah, just because you mentioned uh murphy kind of being new and this is one of his first movies he'll said also in the same interview uh he said this to nick nolte about eddie murphy hill says uh look he's a great talent but he's not a trained actor so nick buddy this is the way it's going to be it's going to be like working with a little kid or a dog the one take that's good we're going to have to print it so that means you have to be good at every take and then nick notley like gruff you know like sort of like like his usual thing to to hill uh but yeah i mean i don't know that i did you see that i saw a little bit of that maybe his screen presence, Eddie Murphy's screen presence, isn't sort of incandescent, so to speak. Uh, but he's so funny and so on the mark, and his timing's so fantastic that, like, he really, I think, in a lot of ways, he he makes this film interesting. Yes. Where if it was just Nick Nolte doing this with another actor in that role, right. it doesn't work. Just no. doesn't work. I don't think it's too boring, too genre. And I think that, like, ooh, I mean that's part of the problematic nature of this film's place in history, I think is because, uh, you know, you don't have, um, really any, uh, any, any path for this genre to go, um, without Eddie Murphy, because even with like, we, I think it needs to be said at some point in this episode of film might as well be now. Like, why aren't we, if we're talking about the eighties, we're talking about action comedy, we're talking about absurdism in, uh, the kind of the crime comedy, uh, archetypes. Um, why aren't we talking about Lethal Weapon or Beverly Hills Cop? And I think ultimately you end up with not only this one being the first, but the one that is like still like messy and trying to figure out that combination, right? Mm. And with and uh, um, Bill Simmons uh, talks about this on the Ringers Rewatchables podcast about this movie, where it's like. Um, it's not just like they like those are the three big black actors of the time period, though that's part of it. Uh, Murphy, Hines, and Pryor. But like Pryor, you it would become the Richard Pryor show, right? And so like by having something inex- more yeah. inexperienced like Murphy, you're able to like somehow be able to give Nick Nolte uh, equal weight to the that duo. Um, with Gregory Hines, like he's not uh, profane enough, right? He's not like rough enough. Um, 
to, to kind of fill that role. And Ebert, I think, had a really good uh, observation of this movie. And it is, once again, that scene, which I do think is a great scene, even though I don't like this movie. Um, when he walks into the, the redneck bar, he calls that scene uh, the mirror image of the scene in French Connection when Gene Hackman intimidates the black regulars at the Harlem bar, where mm -hmm. it's like kind of this and eddie murphy talked about this a lot like why he took this role not just because he wanted to be a movie star but <laughs> also because like he liked that the script gave him this chance to not just be the quote sidekick where it was like legitimately they had equal footing um and uh by being that kind of first african-american role in a movie that could you know bring in this cross-section of audiences uh where he could like go into that like it's eddie murphy versus like 45 assumedly violent hicks and he stands his own and i i agree with you guys to some point that like he it definitely feels kind of like an amateurish uh performance especially if you look at it in context of eddie murphy's entire career but like that's where that like i wanted that scene more throughout the movie because the rest of the film just feels so like kind of ramshackle put together like it has been put through the you know script doctor factory um so that the only things that really land at the end of it are the moments with with eddie like i, I am i am i am i off base here like that's the only like ah. if, if it wasn't eddie murphy this movie would be way it way worse than it already does play in 2022 well instantly forgettable of course it would be if uh, eddie murphy wasn't in it like if uh, i mean it like it wouldn't have even registered like um, it, it, I, I really do kind of, again, latch on to the fact that all the other scenes apart from kind of the hillbilly redneck bar scene, they kind of feel very kind of just rote exposition heavy. Um, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy does is kind of what I kind of got from a lot of the characters in the movies. They were always on a hunt to get laid. Basically that's kind of like, uh, apart from like the, the, uh, like the flashes of like intense violence um, that you see in the movie. There are a lot of big shootouts and, the, and like yeah. big guns going off everywhere. It's always just kind of like, well, the villains are always trying to get laid. Eddie Murphy's trying to always get laid. And Nick, <laughs> and, and Nick Nolte is having relationship problems of his own. And so it's like yeah. all, you know, I kind of wrote in my notes, it's kind of a horny movie. It's like, you it's know, super and, horny. And, and like, like you know, the and, they're, and, they're, and they're talking about it. And I love, and I love some of the dated jive. Like I'm going to give her the high hard one and stuff like that. <laughs> I, love, I, 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 you know, but like this, you know, they're talking about basically trying to get laid all the time in the movie in between yeah. these punctuated, like intense violent scenes, which are actually, by the way, very well done. I was like, kind of yeah. taken aback by like how intense some you know the shootouts like um mm -hmm. there are there there's a particular sequence later in the movie where they're on a bus and they're shooting from the bus to the convertible and you know it's actually um you know it's uh it's something i kind of forgot about um watching it again but it's like you know the it, uh, it's a movie about a cop killer this guy is basically on a mission to kill as many cops as he can before he can kind of uh leave the scene and um then there's a little bit of comedy of course mixed in and then there's a lot there's a lot of talk about you know uh like i said about you know getting laid and stuff it's 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 uh, I, this is kind of where i can really sympathize with chris's viewpoint like the movie is just kind of all over the place and there's just like 
I don't know. Uh, sorry. <laughs> what do we make with a constant obsession with sex here? Especially like Eddie Murphy's character is like, just give me 10 minutes. Like he's constantly <laughs> trying to bed, I guess the polite term. Mm-hmm. Um, in the police I, station, you're not going to say get trim on the podcast. Get oh, trim, see that yes, again, another trim. another like, slang term I wrote down. Uh, no one's <laughs> said that since like 1985. Exactly, like, they say it so many times. In the but like, but what is that all about? I think the thing that blows my mind about that is I like doing laps. That was one of the yeah. ones. Like, I'm gonna yes, I guess, doing that. doing laps. I'm like, oh, okay, oh, I no, missed that one. No, no uh, one says that. <laughs> Although I remember people saying that in college. Um, anyways, um, <laughs> went to college in North Carolina. Yeah, that's true. So, um, I, that's that also stood out to me, and I was like, "Huh? How do I process this?" But because, like, my immediate gut reaction is, "Oh, this film's super misogynistic." Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yep. and homophobic pers- too. Homophobic. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I want to process it that way because it's 2022. But at the same time, there's something else going on as well. Yeah, it's offensive and it's weird. And that's is that how men were in the early 80s when we were born? Is that how people thought about sex? Maybe, in, I mean, honestly, I don't know. But like it's like it's so overt and so even different to something in the nineties. Like it's I, just biz- it's bizarre. I think that maybe uh, you know because um, Nick Nolte's character is a product of an even earlier generation in the film. You know yeah. he's not he's not an eighties man per se. He's like a late sixties man or something like that. So yeah. in that maybe through that lens some of his like again mannerisms and uh lingo like kind of makes sense like he's definitely uh, a little bit more of a fish out of water in the early 80s if we were to watch it at the time and eddie murphy's job to some degree is to kind of bring him up to speed a little bit like you know Mm -hmm. eddie murphy can give him a lot of the business and saying like dude you're old like (laughs) you know like um but that's why i think the film like tends to not really work for me on reviewings it's just like it's so dated and so like no one ever talked like this is kind of how i sometimes feel when i'm watching this it's just like it just it rings kind of hollow um you know and and kind of chris touched upon this in the believability scale it's just like this is just kind of a vehicle for these two actors to play off each other and everything else that kind of gets applied to it including the plot the story Uh, everything like it's just in service of just watching these two actors kind of make a play of this. And I think in that respect, it actually still works in that um, I did like a lot of the Nolte and Murphy scenes, like them just like jawing with each other and arguing. And they actually have a fight scene, uh, which we haven't haven't touched upon yet, um, which is not uh, up to the they live levels, which is... (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of the gold standard which is the gold standard but i did doing a deep dive of this and it's actually recorded that the actors land the same number of punches yeah with Hmm. each other during the scene but nolte comes up one short supposedly i haven't counted but so when you see the scene after the fight where they're in the car in their car and they're about to drive away and nolte sucker punches him yeah, you know, at the end, that supposedly brings the total 
up to equal number of punches. Which um, he started with a sucker punch in the first place, right? Well, yeah. I love. I, I actually like Nick Nolte's I fight dirty. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, again, like the two actors, they really do play off really well against each other. And that they is, do, again, yeah. that's the attraction of the movie for me still. Well, that, um, it's that's just not also enough. something. Okay, not enough. But in talking about like laying the foundation of a genre, subgenre, and tropes and stuff like that, that's also another classic trope. Two men disagreeing fighting with each other then after they physically beat up each other they somehow become closer yeah which is a That's very like the... common I, I, in well, real life i've seen this happen multiple times <laughs> <laughs> right so it's kind of an interesting another layer to it i guess well kind of against type nolte kind of opens up about his relationship with his girlfriend kind of unprompted almost i mean all eddie murphy yeah. has to say is like you have a lady problems jack and he's like yeah let, <laughs> yeah, let me tell you about you know like <laughs> Takes the train, and, 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 and 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 that O'Toole is Bill number three in this movie. Uh, who, who's um, Nick Nolte's girlfriend, Annette O'Toole. Yes, she's Bill number three in this movie. She's barely in it. She's like there for like yeah. two minutes. Like, yeah, phone calls. Yeah. Um, Where are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, nagging, we... always nagging. <laughs> so that, that I keep wanted to to insert this question, and this is part of it. That that whole problem is part of it. Why do we like Nick Nolte's character? Like I like Eddie Murphy's just nat like natural charisma. It doesn't matter that he's a convict. It doesn't matter that he's like twenty four seven horny. Like he's <laughs> he's got this kind of like genial, happy quality. And like he he he's the one that's actually like trying to do the work in the friendship, right? Like that is kind of a sweet scene where he does call him, even though it doesn't make sense plot wise from mm -hmm. from Romans where the bus boys are playing, right? Right, yeah, right. But like. But but yeah, Nick, and this uh, Kate's character. Why do we? It, why do we? Oh. Are we what's like yeah, a little out of anything? He's like a um, you know the classic noiry detective type, right? Like he's hard boiled, he's violent, he's well, mean. There's a right? oh, those are all good qualities. Well, there's a scene. There's a scene. Well, the scene at the end where he takes out the villain. He's just kind of like, well, it, you know, if you're kind of this is a very eighties thing where it's kind of he says something to the effect like this is where it ends like, or it's over for you or whatever. Like, um, you know, kind of the dirty hairy aspect where it's like, I'm just going to take out the bad guy and not let him hurt any more people. Um, yeah. There's an ideology here. And at right? its base, that was very popular. You know, I mean, again, the dirty hairy thing, like the Reagan era, like that was like, go get the bad guys and take them out. You know? Yeah. The, the Soviets, right? Get those guys. There, there's, definitely, there's a <laughs> well, cop hero worship thing going on. Might, right? yeah. might, like the, might makes right. That was the whole thing at the air. Yeah, exactly. Well, but I think, I don't know. I think you guys are being a little bit with uh, his character. He does seem to have some sort of moral code going on. Right. He's not a corrupt cop. He's very like he always he establishes. He doesn't take this, the money. Yeah, that's what he and 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 uh, in right. Midnight Run, the other movie on this show, yeah. like it's the same deal. Like the character is well established in not being um, corruptible, yeah, monetarily at least. Like they're they're not going to take that payoff. Like that's not what they're all about. But I think yeah. Okay. So there, there's I think there is some sort of there's something about his character, Nick Nolte's character. Where he has that strong moral code, not strong. He has a moral code. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Um, but I think a, a, a lot, and to Chris's point here, 
I think a lot of the goodwill that his character has is just fumes of like a patriarchal ideology of like cop worship. I mean, that's what yeah. it is. And right? I mean, he's the, the center. He's he's the white dude in power. He has control of the situation. We look to him to be the protagonist. Right. right? Like we, that's we, we, just we kind even, of the, the rhythms that we had. We haven't even talked about like the, the racist aspect, right? Like, right. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I actually took note of all the, uh, uh, stereotypical and um insulting terms and it was just like this guy is really not not cool at all like i mean you know obviously (laughs) it's an understatement but it's just like you know he basically has to apologize and there's a scene of course that he apologizes for calling reggie the n-word and it's just like Mm -hmm. i i take chris's point like what are we to make of this person? Like, are we, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, he is, he, it's kind of, that's kind of also a hangover from kind of like the Archie Bunker syndrome of like the Mm -hmm. Mm seventies. It's just like, Oh yeah, they're a bigot, but, they're not like the worst person in the world. And just like the heart of gold, (laughs) which is just like, you know, I, uh, you know, I never, I don't know how you fellas felt about you know, stuff like that when it gets kind of like just passed around nonchalantly like that. It's just like, no, they're a bigot. They're like bad news. Like I don't, I, it's not that there are no redeeming qualities about, you know, anyone. It's just like, you can always find kind of diamonds in the rough, but at the same time, it's just kind of like, it's not to be celebrated that this person is, you know, like a bigot some of the times and then tries to make up where it's just like, I, I don't know. I mean, Maybe you guys have more to say about it. It's just I, I, I really, I kind of take like I said, Chris's point. Like, I did question multiple times during the movie. Like, are we actually supposed to like Nick Nolte at any point here? <laughs> right. I do. I, I will say. Yeah. I like. I. It, it, it's unfortunately treated as kind of like a throwaway capper to the scene. But the one that you mentioned, where he apologizes, uh, he says like, "I just thought I was doing my job" or whatever, and then mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy responds by saying like like it's not just your job like at some point it's not just your job right like implying right. That there's something deeper going on okay. and it's just like like there is there there is like that semblance where once again like i i do think that um what eddie murphy does here saves a lot of the movie um even in like a historical context watching it 40 is it's 40th anniversary this year um but i do yeah i mean i think ultimately it comes down to uh your point Drax that like, if you're going to have uh, a, a character that it does <laughs> horrible things and is just generally doesn't seem like a good person, it's not enough to let him have a moral code when it comes to, uh, I don't know, good versus evil. Like it just feels, I don't It's hard because it also feels like it fits the vibe of the movie. Like it's supposed to be like a, politically incorrect in the heat of the night right yeah but absolutely which is actually that, cited by the way sorry to interrupt it, it, it heat of the night is actually cited as a precursor to the genre sure yeah yeah so like i mean what do you, what do we make of that in terms of um the 80s like uh, i don't know i also we were talking about lethal weapon i don't know how much of that um kind of stands the test of time or uh t- continuing with shane black last boy scout um there is that dynamic, like how, why is this dynamic often uh, have this, this racial subtext to it? That's a good question. Like a pressure release. 
That's actually know, a pretty yeah. good question because I think as you guys are going to kind of explore the genre further um, with other examples and stuff like that, um, you know, and we're going to, it's, it, I mean, at the, at, at, at the, at the heart of it, I think it comes down to, um, like I said, kind of the good cop, bad cop, different personalities, different backgrounds kind of thing. Like you always have to kind of play the character. It would be, it would be of course uninteresting if both of the characters, you know, were the same, you know, if they both had yeah. the same outlook. So, but I think Chris's kind of point about what is it about this genre that tends to kind of put people from different ethnic backgrounds against each other um you know well it's like it's like it's got to be like the classic american story that we tell about how anybody from any background can come together and work together right isn't that what they're, they're trying to tell us yeah i mean yeah there's that and that's ultimately part of the in the heat of the night right it's more in like northern right. southern um and then, I mean, it's important, you know, the context of this movie coming out when it did, you know, obviously 40 years later, we can point to certain things and be like, well, this seems dated or well, of course it's dated. It's 40 years old. But like with the historical context of the time being released in the early 80s, I don't have enough knowledge to really know what it was like back then. But it, this film is cited as, you know, taking sort of steps in the right direction in terms of depicting people on screen and, you know. I don't know if that's true or not, or like that's valuable. Um, but I don't know. There's something to be said to sort of having these two characters come together uh, and not have it devolve into some sort of like, uh, there's literal fist fighting, but at the end of the day, they do work together, I guess. Is that two hold hands? Well, <laughs> is I think, that too Chris, I you, think guys? you got, you guys brought it up though. Uh, Eddie Murphy is the one who is actually doing the most work here in terms of trying to make the relationship work. You know, he yeah. is saying, yeah, yeah, Chris, I think, brought it up like he's at the bar kind of towards the end of the movie. And he he's 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 escaped. He could kind of yeah, try to get away. But he calls, you know, Nick Nolte's character and says, like, hey, I still have a lead. I still have we can still win this. Like, get your shit together. Come on down. You know, we can win this. So um, it, it, there is a very like kind of positive vibe in the sense that. You know, it's the, not the, cynical, right? No, no. It's not like a right. huge cynical thing with them and that, but like, let's 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 jump to Midnight Run. Where do can we... I can I can I offer a connective thread between these yes, two films? Please, other do. than the obvious, uh -huh. um, James Horner's score. Oh, in I was going I meant to bring that up. <laughs> oh Danny Elfman's score in Midnight Run, just bangers after bangers. Like, uh, I yeah. think that. I think that's what's one of the most interesting things about like the eighties action genre is not only they were like fusing uh, narrative um, elements together to create something um, kind of a new mashup to, but that was also happening in film music that kind of transitioned from the synth stuff of the late seventies uh, to some of the more like bombastic orchestral stuff. And yeah. like, it's really, it's really fun. Yes. It's dated. Yes. It sounds cheesy, but like, especially, you know, with, the way Danny Elfman's career has gone over the years and kind of the more uh, in, in many ways, a lot of different, uh, you know, composers have kind of pigeonholed themselves over the years. Like it was just, it was really refreshing to hear something that was like, well, trying to be a big part of the movie and not just like sit in the background. 
I will say, though, uh, counterpoint perhaps a little bit. Um, have, I, have either of you guys seen the movie Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, of course, yeah. So basically, James Horner rips himself off all oh, the yeah, time. Oh, yeah, that's right. And you, <laughs> I was like getting – and, and, uh, and uh, Commando has a lot of the same um, pedigree because I believe it's produced by one of the same producers like Warren Gordon, and the score is basically dead on the same – uh, David Patrick Kelly is in it as well. <laughs> you know, right. it's just like, so I'm kind of like, while I'm watching this movie, I'm getting like flashbacks to a lot of different other 80s action movies because if you kind of look at the personnel involved in this show, you know, from like the producers to who did the score to some of the actors, like Jonathan Banks shows up in Beverly Hills Cop, you know. Oh, that's right. You know what I mean? Like, and, mm. um, which is by I, Martin Brest, who did Midnight Run. Is, well, and, and like, you know, it's like um, uh, David Patrick Kelly and Sonny Landham, who plays like the number two heavy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He shows up in like Predator and stuff like that, mm-hmm, which are again, mm-hmm. these are all like, and I, uh, uh, you know, these are all like people that have like pedigree in like basically a run of movies in the 80s where they were just kind of like, kind of pulpy action kind of like crowd pleasers and stuff like that. So all these people basically from 1982 got work for the rest of the eighties in all these other movies that are a big part of the public lexicon and stuff like that. So um, it's not just the buddy cop genre. It's kind of like the whole Hollywood ecosystem that kind of gets fed a little bit by some of the people that are involved in this movie. So I just kind of wanted to bring that up a little bit um, because like as a film fan, as you guys obviously are as well, like just picking up on like, Oh, they did that. They did that. Oh, that person's in the credit. Like, you know, it's like, it's always like the interconnective tissue between uh, film production. Right. I mean, that's what do you guys think? Uh, So a midnight run was obviously a lesser uh, film in the genre. Um, both at the time period, and I think over time, but it's especially lately kind of gotten a really big cult status. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's also just like Forty Eight Hours, one of those movies that I knew existed and had saw bits and pieces on TBS of. But um, what's uh, what's your history with it, guys? I, I've never seen it before. Only like little snippets. I think probably on like USA or something or TNT back in the like long back in the day because they don't play this on cable anymore. I don't think. Uh, it's a little bit so too either. too old for that, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, this is my first time I've ever seeing it. So I don't know, Hendrix. I, I imagine you probably had seen it before. No, but here's the: uh, I would have thought, you know, this would have been because, like, I I I really like uh, Charles Grodin just as a, a performer and a presence. Like, um, I think he's um, you know kind of an underrated um, actor and um, you know uh, entertainer. And I would have thought that I would have hit this part of his biography earlier, but I only saw the film for the first time just last year because it was on because it was on streaming for free. Well, not free, but, you know, uh, it's just like, um, (laughs) uh, but, you know, and and, uh, I do like uh, your first reaction to it, seeing it the first time. Um, What did you think? It's actually kind of nostalgic in a way that I really enjoyed more than 48 hours. Like I actually, it's a better film in my opinion. I think midnight mm-hmm. run is a better film. Um, and it has a lot of, and this maybe is a little bit showing my bias for the production aspect because I kind of like these days, because I, you know, I work mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry. I kind of appreciate some of the things that I see on screen in a different ways. Sometimes it's just like, they did a lot of stunts. They did 
it's basically planes, trains, and automobiles on steroids. You know, it's like they're they're yeah, it's a yeah. it's a buddy cop movie that's a road trip. Like it's it's a fun movie. They are uh, they they just kind of like I, and you wouldn't think that this is like you know kind of seeing a lot of movies with Robert De Niro over the years like. I feel like this one kind of gets passed over sometimes a little bit, like yeah. in people's memories. Like Robert De Niro is really good. Like we, I think the the first comedy movie I think I saw Robert De Niro one was uh, uh, what was the one with uh, Ben Stiller? It's not Meet the Fockers, but the uh, Meet, the, Meet parents. the Parents. Meet the Parents, right? That was the first one. And it was kind of a big. Oh, it's like Robert De Niro is doing comedy and just like yeah. well, he did like the King of Comedy way back in the eighties. Um, yeah. which I think everybody forgets. But then this movie... It... I think it's called Joker by Todd Phillips. But... <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I, when, I was watching, <laughs> when I was watching all those scenes, I was just like, oh, someone watched... Someone, yeah. wa- someone watched <laughs> The King of Comedy for the first time. He's just like, yeah, let me... <laughs> um, Yoink. <laughs> but um, uh, it also stars another character actor from uh, the genre john astin oh yeah who yeah. is yeah. the um, beverly hills cop is beverly hills cop but he's also yeah. the uh so in this movie he's the um other bounty hunter the competing bounty hunter and stuff like that so um but i was I, for whatever reason what i picked up on upon they have robert de niro in like the rapids like he's like clinging onto a rock in the rapids trying to be saved by charles groden's character uh, via tree branch, you know, he's holding out the mm-hmm. branch and he's just like, promise that you'll let me go if I save you and stuff like that. And just the whole construction of the scene where Robert Jr. is just basically getting inundated by like, you know, rapidly rushing water and Charles Grodin just basically kind of being dry and like, you know, focused on like, if, you, if I save you, you'll let you go. That kind of distilled the movie down to its essence a little bit for me. Uh, about kind of the absurdity of it all the set pieces and everything and i really enjoyed it i mean like i said it's a better movie than 48 hours in my opinion it's it's, chris what do you think i i wholeheartedly agree i think it's Ah, i disagree with both you guys oh my gosh oh here (laughs) we go you'll you'll have your moment to talk about this genre Um, (laughs) i i i did i just had so much more fun watching this movie absolutely there's just like a, a sense of joy to it that just you don't see anymore. And yet it still like ages really well because not only do you have like two of the best American actors in their prime, but like playing roles that are not against type, but definitely like play to strengths that I don't think anybody realized. Like mm-hmm. Charles Grodin as like a mob accountant. Like it's just like such a weird bit of casting, but it, it works a hundredfold. And same thing with Robert De Niro. Um, he gets to do like these dramatic beats that he's so well known for. Like when he uh, sees his, you know, uh, his daughter. daughter for the first time in some yeah, years. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. yeah. And, and yet still he like can be zany like you, you, it's, it's funny, but you, it, it's ridiculous that it took 12 years, you know, for somebody to really use him in a central comedic role again, because like the boxcar scene when, um, oh, he shows back up, <laughs> like he's just, I, I don't know. And there, there's, there's obviously the relationship piece, which I think is the, the thing we keep coming back to. And one of the reasons that, um, 48 hours, uh, can be salvaged. And one of the reasons that, um, uh, lethal weapon still works despite the baggage of Mel Gibson in 2022, uh, where you have like 
just this this click where and and especially because like they don't force it and they let it grow and that odd couple aspect feels like it's something that can't be overcome because you know Robert De Niro wants his money so bad and Charles Grodin um is just not you know he 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 can he can move around money and be very analytical but he he can't overpower him so like it, yeah, I just think that it, it's a it's pretty it's impressive still today. Um, I was actually kind of shocked that the way I ended up watching it was through Criterion Channel <laughs> because I'm like, wait, this is a Criterion yeah, so movie. Same here. Yeah. Um, but it was part of their Yafet Koto collection. Um, and who's great? Who's uh, great in the movie? Up, right. Oh, and, it, it's it's awesome. His death stares when he takes off his sunglasses, or when sunglasses. he's st- or when he's stealing the cigarettes from the other bounty tank. Like I love I. I mean, the movie, uh, I really have to say the movie really was, uh, as, as well for me, still clicking, you know, and it's a movie right. in ni- 1988, this movie. So it was kind of at the tail end of kind of the buddy cop, you know, it came out after this 48 hours movie, mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon, after a lot of other kind of predecessors had kind of riffed on the formula and yet the formula and- still endures. Well, that, and that's what I think is like 48 hours because it was messy. Like it, it set, it, it started it, but they didn't figure it out yet. Midnight run is where they figured it out. And I would even go so far, except for like one little plot thing that annoys me, the discs at the end. Um, aside yeah. from that, like, I think otherwise is I, I would venture to say, except for that, a perfect film. It's pretty good. I think they could have cut maybe. I think they could have cut. I think they could have cut like twenty minutes out of it because it did feel a little long uh, towards the end. But um, yeah, they did. Yeah, it's much longer. I mean, this is over. It's over two hours long. Yeah, I I think that they needed some of that for the set pieces that they did again, which involves flying. It's a a big movie. Yeah, flying a triplane. Flying, uh, so stupid. This movie is so dumb. <laughs> oh, there's so I, many I, scenes like the helicopter oh, scene, the plane I, scene. The I love, is I this love Blues Brothers 3, like with oh, the, chase was, in the desert. Oh, but that's all great. Oh, I, I mean, the and the reveal that, um, Charles Grodin's character actually wasn't afraid of flying and then he was a train right. pilot. Oh, that still yeah, hits. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. man. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I think, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I can appreciate, you know, someone say, having uh, obviously issues with any film, but at the same time, just watching this as a pure viewer kind of on top of 48 Hours, which we were just talking about, and kind of going to Chris's point as an evolution in the genre, I do yeah. really feel like it was really firing on all cylinders in terms of showing what the genre was capable of kind sure, of yeah. expanding the world and kind of um, opening things up. Yeah. No, I think that okay. makes sense. T- tear, that, tear it down, Wiper. No, I, I don't want to tear <laughs> it down. It's just, it. you know, when I look at like 48 hours and there's such good films to pair with each other because they're, there's really? so much overlap, yeah. but the tone is so different. Like mm-hmm. in 48 hours, I feel like I'm getting this gritty sort of social, a lot of social commentary in that script. Tons. It's just filled with it. Um, the language, the slang, everything that they're talking. Like, there's so much, I think, from just especially looking back on the 80s and the early 80s. It's like, oh, you can kind of get transported a little bit back to that era. It's just infused with that time. 
Midnight Run to me, this is crazy that I'm arguing this because I'm usually on the exact opposite argument. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Seems like a very um, pared down, uh, potent, uh, extremely tight action pieces here, right? And they talk about the mechanics of a film and it clicking. That's all true here with Midnight Run, without a doubt. Um, but to me, it's like the social and character stuff just doesn't work as well for some reason. Are you I accusing it of being maybe Pollyannish? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a little bit because it's know, definitely not about, like it's not gritty like Forty Eight Hours, of course. No, yeah. not at all. It's it's very zany. Like I think <laughs> of all the action sequences, and I'm like, oh, like oh, this is comedic action. This is slapstick action. Well, one, right, one, one, a helicopter with this, like, what? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, well, it's, but on the one hand, it's fun, but then on the other hand, it's like, I don't, I guess I don't know how to process it in the same way. Like, 48 hours, none of that action was really comedic, right? It's horribly violent. Like, all these, like, yeah. 44 magnums going off and these big blood squids going off and yeah, people's like, chest. Yeah, which look which really I love, fake. By the way, <laughs> which look which look really fake. By the way, all these like blood squibs, like it, it, they didn't do a good job there. But um, <laughs> so like, if you look up like buddy cop film movie on the internet, they'll say like yeah. it often infuses like comedy with like quote action and thriller elements. And so there's definitely yes. a wide so there's definitely a wide you know uh, spectrum of you know things you can have in your movie. Beverly Hills, uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, uh, uh, forty-eight hours. Forty-eight hours basically is an action movie. Action movie. I mean, it yes. has com comedic With, elements, yeah. but it's mostly a hard-boiled like, let's get those bad guys. Versus Midnight Run, yeah. comedy. Yeah, you know, it's, definitely it's, comedy. Well, but, lots of action, but like, even, it, yeah, it's it's very different tones and styles. Absolutely. I mean, we and talked about like this a bit with, uh, uh, you know, um, 21 Jump Street, right? Where it's like that that is a comedy film, but it's using a lot of action set pieces as a vehicle for the for that comedy. Right. And yeah, uh, ultimately, it, it, yeah, you're you're if you want something darker, like I mean, like in Bruges uh, is very like does yeah. that balance thing you talked about how the nice guys also Shane black from lethal weapon. Yes, I was going to mention that. Right. You know so it's going. like, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on what, what kind of balance you're, you're looking for. And yeah, you're right. There's, okay. No social the, comment. The thing... Go ahead. Well, go ahead. The thing that throws me <laughs> off is that, okay. Like in this, what does this remind me of a little bit? Um, it's, Okay, yeah, it's just it, it's planes, trains, and automobiles, but with like a weird, dark underbelly, criminal underbelly, noir aspect to it, right? Um, that's where I think the the juxtaposition it just it's it doesn't um, it doesn't mix well. It's like you've got like bounty hunters and people killing each other, and then they're like getting chased by a helicopter with a machine gun shooting them. It, it just is sort of like it's either you have to go full on like comedy over the top absurdity which this like plays with or you have to do this hard-boiled thing and then you add sort of comedic elements to it to me it's kind of in a weird no man's land but it doesn't i'm obviously in the minority 
I think that midnight, of- I think that midnight run committed to the vibe right off from the bat. You have this. Um, so for, uh, so in midnight run, the beginning scene is Robert De Niro picking a lock to a door, trying to hunt yeah. a bounty, and he uh-huh. basically drops his stuff on the ground, and then a big shotgun blast comes in over his head. Like it, it's like he almost cheated death, but it's kind of played like you know. Obviously, nonchalantly, it's just like, well, you know, he escaped that and, you know, he's going to get his man either way. But, like, I feel like Midnight Run committed from the get-go to kind of the zany aspect that you're talking about. Well, 100%. It's 100% zany. But, like, I guess, like, when I compare it, like, you mentioned the nice guys. That's also has that zaniness to it. Oh, it's a terrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. But it's like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I just can't go with, okay, where it works is Blues Brothers. That's where it works. That's like the perfect, not perfect, very, very good, zany, comedy, action-y type film. And also kind of a musical at the same time. Um, Masterpiece, apparently. Um, but Is that a, a future episode, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, but I, to me, it's like that's where that style. All, okay, back to I think it was the last, uh, the first episode of this cycle, Chris, the Coen Brothers, like Raising yeah. Arizona, zany as hell, works incredibly well. Here, it's like to me, it's like a weird. They're trying to be grounded with the characters and the plot. But then also doing this really zany thing to me doesn't work. That's as simple as that. And I don't think it's ever going to work for me. <laughs> but I okay. Here's my, here's my final argument uh, on why I think that tone balance does work. And I think when we you know trace back the origins of this uh, genre throughout like the earlier years, like what really works for me is that combination of the eighties, like violent aspect and like the it's profane. Um, but then, uh, you have a real sense. Like I, I said this at the top, um, that sense of joy feels very much just like a, like an old school Hollywood blockbuster, even like, not just like talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, like adventure style, uh, but also dating all the way back to like, you know, like a forties or fifties Howard Hawks movie where it just, like what matters the most is the characters, but every single scene um, both helps us better connect with these characters as well as like create a spectacle for us. And so I think that like, whereas 48 hours, like I said, it, it feels like it has like one or two scenes, particularly the, 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 the classic Eddie Murphy scene going into the Hick bar. Um, Midnight run just feels like, hit after hit like you like we talked about all the different like vehicle oriented scenes but even those small scenes of like the on the diner car and the train um where they're talking to each other and we we, we keep coming back to this the two characters talking to each other when they're in the um box car there's this great um um story about how uh robert de niro was famously like unable in some uh some shooting days to like find that balance of comedy and drama and so like groden would be like literally the guy to vamp or improv on the scene because he's more of a classical comedy guy to get de niro in that mode and so like the the weird like non sequitur about having sex with chickens um it, it is like literally it's actually groden like trying to get de niro to lighten up and so it feels so uh natural that the absurdity and heightenedness of all the action 
is just like, I don't know. It's just, it feels like bells and whistles on top of an already like really solid uh, character piece. And ultimately that's why it does work for me. Whereas it doesn't because there's just not enough of it and it's not uh, uh, fleshed out enough. It's not as clockwork in 48 hours. Drax, we're going to give you the last word on, on midnight run and 48 hours. Take it away. Um, what do you got for us? It's a little, sort of it's a little intimidating, but um, <laughs> I like to intimidate. What I, what I'll say is, um, you know, uh, just kind of again, kind of going down memory lane of um, the genre we keep kind of talking about, the buddy cop genre, and kind of seeing the genesis of it with Forty Eight Hours, and then kind of seeing it almost a decade later, kind of played with to its to some extent with midnight run i would i, I don't want to say full extent because i you know i'm not a prophet i don't know if, <laughs> i don't i don't know if there's other things that can be mined from it but um the uh, the dichotomy between the two was very striking but at the same time i, I you just kind of can see the enduring appeal of a lot of the beats that are being hit in both films um and then kind of the ways that people play with it throughout the years and so um you know i I'll, I'll just kind of say again i think you know if, if anybody is um you know wondering you know what our recommends on this day you know midnight run is the better movie um it's the more fun movie <laughs> and it's the one that i would watch on cable if i'm you know flipping past it um but um it, it's um i think it'll be interesting when you guys kind of delve deeper into kind of what kind of happens subsequent to this, you know, in the nineties or two thousands or whatever. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was it, the chemistry basically trumps all, you know, the yeah. interaction between uh, the two leads um, in both movies is fantastic. And that's something obviously that's never going to go away. And so that's kind of what I'll just leave it. Yeah, I think it's ironically the non-action scenes in both movies that make that make them exciting and engaging films. Okay, what's going up, Chris? What do you got coming up? Man, we're gonna dive into the '70s next week. Uh, that is kind of where the the line between action comedy and you know caper with jokes uh, starts to get kind of fuzzy. But I'm excited because I've never seen Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Clint Eastwood. Um, but Ed, I am also excited to talk about uh, The Hot Rock, which is a great Redford movie that doesn't really get talked about a lot anymore. So check back with us next episode for a look at the 70s absurdist action. This has been Film Trace. Film Trace.